this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work again. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. This episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by Prescore. What on earth is a Prescore? Pre stands for Personal Readiness to Exit Your Company, and here we're looking to evaluate how personally ready you are to leave your company. You know, when you go to sell a business to have a successful exit and look back on it without regret, you need two things. Number one, a company that is attractive to an acquirer, to a company that's built to sell. And number two, you personally need to be ready to exit that business. We found that there are four drivers of a happy and lucrative exit, four ways you can personally ready yourself to exit your business. And by completing your pre-score, you are going to see how you're performing against those four major drivers of a happy and lucrative exit. Just go to prescore.com. Hey, do you own the building that your company sits on? If you do, the building itself may be a separate transaction from the company you operate. You see, when acquirers look at a building, they're looking at a whole different set of value metrics than they would an operating company. And you may be better off to separate the two, which is what my next guest, Ian Silverberg, did. In this episode, you'll hear a fascinating story of a surprising ground lease and stay with it because I think it's worth understanding this lease. It gets a little bit technical at times, but I think it's worth understanding what Ian had in this lease because once you see it play out and over the next 15 years, what it meant to him as the owner of this lease, I think you'll you'll find it fascinating. So listen for his definition of a ground lease. You'll also hear a definition of something called an RDC, which I'd never heard of before. You may find interesting and a helpful resource to help you finance your business. He'll also talk about the techniques and unusual approaches he took to running a gym, which enabled him to triple the value of the business over the, over the ensuing 10 years. Here to tell you the entire story is Ian Silverberg. Ian Silverberg, welcome to Build to Sell Radio. Great to have you here. Thank you, John. Great to be here. So you were in the health club business. Tell me about that. How'd you get into it? I was. Um, yeah, it was actually uh, um, an interesting path. Uh, I, I originally thought that I was medical school bound. Um, I uh, have always had a fascination for the human body. I'm just, I'm, I'm amazed at the human experience. The fact that, you know, you and I are having this conversation at the same time, I'm processing all sorts of stuff and fighting off various different viruses and whatever. Um, and if I see you in the street, I'm going to remember you. Like the whole thing is just mind boggling to me. And I always loved helping people. Uh, it was just, um, something that I was good at at a young age. So I was the guy you called, uh, in the middle of the night in high school when, you know, you were having problems with your girlfriend and I would talk you through it. And so I just thought, well, I love the body and I love helping people. I gotta be a doctor. My father was a pediatrician. Um, and so I went to school thinking that that was going to be the deal. And in, I went to UC Santa Barbara and I started to work at a small little gym in town and I didn't realize it, but it was connected to a larger health club across the way. And I used to, in the summer, I would go back to Los Angeles and I would sell boats and I would, uh, and I would make enough money to kind of carry me through the school year. 
And when the owner of the health club found out that I was selling boats, he did not have an internal sales department and things were getting a little hard for him uh, at the um, health club. So he came to me and said, Hey, will you manage, create an, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, how did you, how did you, so you, you came to work there and, and manage the, the sales of the operation. How did you come to own it? Well, yeah, so that's where I'm, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm getting at. So I came in as a, as the manager of the uh, membership sales um, and I was a student at school and the university passed an initiative to build a rec center, which it did not have. And he had catered his business more to focusing on the uh, students which I, as a membership director, kind of thought was a mistake and wanted to try and turn it more towards the community. And when the university finally did build the health, uh, the Rexen, which was five years later, and I had left the business because I had tried to tell him that I think he needed to steer in a different direction. And I had left Santa Barbara and gone home and became a, started another business. And when I came back to Santa Barbara uh, to sell that original business, uh, I had a new concept that I was trying to do. I decided I didn't want to go into medicine. What I was really trying to do was kind of bridge the gap between medicine and fitness. At the time, people don't really remember, but fitness was sort of, um, the, the, the verdict was still out on fitness back in, you know, back then. And doctors would all tell you that you should get in shape, but no one would tell you where to do it. So I had this idea and created a company that lived between the fitness industry and the medical industry. So physicians would refer. So I went to Goleta Valley Athletic Club to the old owner and said, hey, I've got this great idea. I think it's going to help for you. And he said, hey, you were right. They, they built the university, built the, uh, their Rexen. I'm going out of business. So uh, in truth, I was having a really hard time getting traction with health club owners who didn't mm -hmm. understand this med medical fitness concept I had. And so I couldn't figure out whether it was just a lack of sophistication or whether my concept didn't make sense. And so I I bought it. I basically put a LOI together and, um, and I locked it down and then the hard work began. I had to try to figure out how to actually raise the $700,000, which is what the cost of the club was. LOI being letter of intent. So, so you, 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 the price of 700,000, how did that come up? Did, did he ask you for that? Did you, did you make an offer? Site on, yeah. like how, did, how did that come up? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so when I, when I went into to pitch him on my new concept. And he informed me that uh, he was selling the business. Um, I asked him how much he wanted for it. And in truth, I actually thought it was, I was gonna try and put the deal together for a friend of mine. But um, he told me that he had been talking to a local competitor and that they were kicking around this number of $700,000. Um, and in truth, that's kind of where it, it, it came out. And I just looked at the deal. I had. Luckily, I had some, it had been three or four years prior to when I worked there, but I knew the market. I knew what I felt they were doing wrong. I understood it. Um, I had figured out that there was some real estate in the deal. I don't think that he fully understood that, but um, to try and keep this in simple terms, he had a long-term ground lease. So the health club was built on leased ground. So, you know, this is a strategy that people will do if they own a lot of property, but they don't really want to invest the, time, you know, the money to put a building up, they'll do long-term ground leases where people will come in. So this one, I think, was a 40-year ground lease at the time uh, when they started it. They build the health club on top of it. So technically, you own the building, but at the end of the 40 years, you just have to hand that back. Um, but when you say you have to hand that back, do you mean the land or the land with the building on it? land with the building on it. It's actually up to, if you are the landowner, you have a choice. 
usually, depending on how the lease is structured. But the ground lease is you can tell you can grab it back with the building, or you can tell the person you need to knock it down and get the land back. Okay, so let me see if I understand this. This health club, uh, the guy thinks it's worth seven hundred grand. He doesn't realize it, but at the time, it's sitting on uh, on on leased land, which it almost sounds like a a ticking time bomb. Like here it is ticking down to forty years, and when it, the clock strikes forty, you're out of business in essence. Yeah, that, I think, am I am I getting it correct? Well, you are absolutely capturing. I think what the essence that he thought. And, and a lot of people will look at that and say, wow, that's kind of a ticking time bomb. But if you look mm -hmm. at it from the financial perspective of it, so here's the reality. You have a piece of land that let's say you pay $3,000 a month for. Now you've built a building on it. In this case, a multi-purpose athletic club that was, um, had approximately 20,000 square feet plus a pool outside, all sorts of stuff, right? So you've got this building that has a, a market value. So let's just say the market value for that is $25,000 a month. So what you really have is say 25 years left. And by, by the time I came in, I think the health club had been 10 or 15 years old. So there was, if I recall correctly, it was 25 years left on the lease. So what I have is 25 years of an income stream. That's fantastic. So again, if, if he's paying $3,000 a month for this land, and was that about what he was paying three grand? Yeah, and, the, and you figured the market value was about 25 grand? Yes. So in essence, uh, there's a $22,000 a month, right. almost worry-free income stream there. Exactly. So I looked at that and said, okay, um, and you know, we, we, can go, we, can, we can go into the long story about what my motivation <laughs> behind wanting to get into the fitness industry was. But in truth, I was 27 years old. Mm -hmm. I had not a lot to lose, which makes it a little easier to bet. Um, and, and my thinking here was, I'm going to give this a go as a health club. I had my own passion behind why, where I thought the fitness industry had really just missed the mark. Um, and yeah. I want to go back to this, this idea of, of the future cash flow. So if the owner was, had, was sitting on this sort of um, this goose that laid the golden egg, so to speak, this beautiful kind of cash flow, why would he want to sell? What was his motivation? Yeah. Given, so given the economics. Yeah, I think the only, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to figure out a way to say this um, without it sounding uh, disrespectful because it's not meant to be at all. I think there was a sophistication level that they just didn't understand what they were sitting on. And, and I think mm -hmm. the reason was um, when he bought the building, uh, his father basically gave him the money. I'm sorry, when he bought the, the business. So he wasn't the original owner of the business. He had purchased the business about seven years prior. Mm. And when he did, uh, I think that his father just gave him the money. So number one, they never had to go through to a bank. And I think that if you went to a bank, a bank's going to want collateral. And that's probably where you start to uncover what collateral you really have, right? Mm. So this was just purchased. He had cash, came in, bought the club, and then had continued to bankroll the club. Um, and I think what, what ended up happening was there was a point where uh, once the the university built their Rexen and he started to um, really lose money where his funding source just said, I'm sorry, I'm not giving you any more money. Hmm. And at that point, he just decided, I, you know, businesses get really hard when you're not making money. It just, began. so how did you come up with the 700 grand? Yeah. Well, 
um, I got very creative. So I went, I literally went to 13 banks, every bank in Santa Barbara, every one of them turned me down. Um, I finally And did you tell them about this little, I don't know, it's almost like arbitrage, this little secret about the 22 grand. Did you tell them that? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I put together this business plan. It was this, you know, this big fat, you know, business plan. It was incredible. I was so proud of it. You know, I, and, and I, and every one of them just said, we don't do land leases. So for a bank, it's a little bit, um, Harry, it's not cookie cutter, right? Mm. When a bank wants a collab, wants collateral, they want collateral. They can really get their hands around. This was this. Okay. So wait, we have this lease and this building. And, but if we, it's not like something that you can sell as quickly, they don't have that whole network to liquidate the assets if they really needed to. And so a lot of banks just aren't comfortable with it. Number one, number two, I was a guy, I think I had, I think I had $3,000 that I put into this deal when I first did it. I'm not kidding you. Um, yeah. I had three grand of the 700. Uh, but I find 697 to go. Yeah, 697. <laughs> so what happened was I, I found, um, a local, a guy named Lou Stone. He was a bank president. I remember on it, it was like the 13th bank I walked into. And at that point I just felt like I had nothing to lose. And I just put my guard down. I remember walking in there, no joke. I put my feet up on his desk. I, I long haired ponytail guy. I just come from my, you know, I, I put my feet up on his desk and I just, was really natural about it. And he just loved it. And he said, you know what? I'm going to give you a shot. He was also um, close to the deal. He, uh, proximity wise, his bank was a mile and a half down the road. And he just understood. He was willing to take a risk. And he ended up finding there, there was an organization called California Coastal, which is kind of like the SBA. So what they did was they gave, it was a loan guarantee company. So they would come in and they would guarantee the loan for the bank so that banks would go out there and give what they call kind of subprime borrowers like me, somebody who didn't have experience. Tell me about California Coastal because I mean, I've heard of the SBA for listeners outside of uh, the United States. They may not have small business administration loans where essentially the government is backing uh, the, the loan or a portion of the loan so that the bank offering it is somewhat guaranteed. Uh, making them more willing to lend to small business. It's, it, it, I'm not familiar with California Coastal. So this, was this a subsidiary of the SBA or? Kind of, like, so, yeah, um, great question. And, and in a very important organization, and there are many of them out there, and I think they're great resources, but um, they're called Rural Development Corporations, okay, hmm. RDCs. And what these generally are, and so this one was in California, and it originally started for farmers because farmers were having a very hard time getting loans and getting funding and financing because their business, it was a very challenging business. So these organizations would come up and they were nonprofit organizations that had a, a mission to try and help people who can't go through the normal, who may not have the collateral, right? So in this case, they would put together um, loans for um, farmers and then they realized that there are a lot of um, businesses that could utilize them. So these guys did two things. Number one, they were actually, so the SBA, they don't have direct lending. The SBA, what they would do, the SBA has programs and those programs are, are, are um, put through banks sure. so, and RDCs. So Cal Coastal had a few of the SBA programs. So some of the things they offered, they have an, uh, an arrangement with the SBA where they will do the underwriting and the vetting. And if, if it passes their SNF test and it goes through their loan committee, then they have a deal with the SBA that the SBA would approve that. Right? I see. Okay. So some of it was that. And then the other part of it is they had their own funds. They had gotten some from California where they did their own loan guarantees. So they would go to local banks and, and do much like an SBA would and said, hey, we'll guarantee you 
we'll guarantee, say, 80% of this loan. So in this case, for example, in my case, it was a $700,000 purchase. Lou Stone said to me, Ian, I'll give you half the deal if I can get CalCoastal to guarantee it. So what he did was he went to CalCoastal. And so, and in truth, so CalCoastal gave him an 80% guarantee, which means that as long as that loan's outstanding, 80% of that $350,000 was guaranteed. So Lou Stone, by giving me a $350,000 loan, was only on the hook for 20% of that, 70 grand. Got it. And where'd you get the other 350? Yeah, so that I got a little creative. So what I did was, number one, there were, um, the person I bought the club owned 75% of it. There was another 25% um, shareholder. So I went to him and he was actually uh, one of the people that originally built the club and I shared my vision with him and he really resonated with him and he happened to be a physician in town. So I, I was able to talk him into rolling his share over, um, right? So 25% of the $700,000 basically rolled over. So now I only needed 150 to go. Um, my 3000 came, honestly, a legal bill came due. I didn't have any money left from, from, I mean, yet from anybody. So I paid the $3,000 legal bill. And then the rest of it, I friends and family did. I went out hmm. to, um, you know, friends and family and raised, I think it was $100,000. The last 50, um, I, I figured out that I could probably get a credit in escrow because in the health club industry, a lot of people pay for years, a year in advance. And it made me realize, well, if I'm about to buy a business and there's say 500 people out there who have prepaid their memberships. So in a sense, there's a liability. So I came back and said, okay, well, these 500 people, you know, there's a total here of about $50,000 that I haven't received that you have. So I, I just, in the, I honestly, I don't, had I not figured that out, I don't think I would have been able to pull the deal together in the end. Wow. So you really did cobble it together. I and, cobbled and, this together. Yeah. And, uh, and did you provide Lou at Cal Coastal a personal guarantee? Did you have to yeah. personally sign? Yeah. It was, was that I guess it wasn't worth much at the time, just given it would have been blood from a stone. I, I, it, it was worth the three grand. No, you know, he, he made a bet on me. Um, but yes, I had a personal guarantee. Yes, absolutely. I had very, very little. I had, I had a little bit, I, I had started a business or two before. He believed in me and the concept. And more importantly, what Lou understood was that what I kind of understood. I knew that there was a chance I wasn't going to survive as a health club. But I knew that if not, I would pivot and I would rent that building out and I'd still be able to make it work. Now, in truth- So you let him into the secret about the oh, 25 yeah. grand minus the three. Uh, yeah. yeah. And he, and, and now, the thing was I needed money not just to acquire the club. He said to me, I'll give you the half the money and I'll give you, I'll give you 350 plus I'll give you a $300,000 loan for operating capital. The club was in shambles. It had no roof. It had no air conditioning. It was just- you know, they had run it into the ground because it didn't have any, uh, you know, he'd been losing money for so long. So unfortunately, when I finished the deal and I went back to him a couple of weeks later, um, then he basically said, hey, sorry, on the 300 grand, no can do. Uh, I need you to have a year under your belt before I can do that. And I what, was- which, Why did he change his mind? I, I, I still to this day, not sure if, I think the problem was Cal Coastal wasn't willing to do that. So that one, he would have had to take on himself. And I think the reality is when he went to loan committee, now that I kind of understand. So after I sold the business, I went and I was on the board for Cal Coastal. I really wanted oh, to get they gave me. So now that I understand that process, I think when he went to his loan committee, his loan committee said, are you nuts? Like this kid, right? That's so where did you, 
so where does it go from there? Where did you get the money to, to fix up the club? I, I just, um, I really went down to basics. I realized um, I, I had a, I, I, I sat down and thought about what we were doing and what were the most important pieces of our business and what, what business were we really in and what were we really selling? And I, I, it became clear to me that what we were selling was, you know, we didn't have a, a widget. We were selling a feeling, right? We were selling a feeling that when you walked in the door, did you feel like this was a place that, that you wanted to be at? And if so, you know, we had you. So I immediately, first things I did, I went out and traded. I, um, I needed a new front desk. It was in shambles. I went and found a company that did cabinet work and I gave them all memberships and I got a new, you know, some lipstick on the front desk. I, I did the same thing for some stuff on the walls and I immediately hired a great, I just started hiring great people. Um, I, I knew that the problem was with fitness um, is that the industry had really started to focus on what I will call the freaks of the bell curve, right? If you put any population is about 10 to 15% of that population that goes to an athletic club. Those are the people that somehow figured out how to get over the hump and enjoy it. But the, the entire industry is catered to those people, which is bright lights and flash. And, and, but for everybody else, that is intimidating. Um, and I, has, I was somebody who experienced that. So I just thought, let's just make this a really comfortable experience. Let's, let's not have contracts. Let's not have pushy salespeople. Let's, let's, let's make all of our, our administrative offices in the front of the club, have people that are here full time. Have, you know, if you want to quit, don't make it some maze to quit. So I just flipped the whole thing on its head. Hmm. Um, and, I, and I got creative. I really did. To be honest, um, I did things like I, I took loans from the government that the government, you know, I don't know if they know they're giving these loans, but so payroll taxes. So one of the things we would do is we would, if you don't pay your payroll taxes on time, I think they charge you one or 2%. So we use that. I, I would use that float and I would pay, I would, I would have to pay the, you know, my one or 2% on the payroll taxes. And then I would pay them back. And slowly, but surely within literally within six months, we were breaking even. Um, there's a great story here too, that I think is a really important, um, that, you know, one of the things I, I, if I could go back in time and, and really helped me on the sales side, my due diligence was horrible, right? I, I was a 27 year old kid. I didn't know anything about it. I did, you know, I saw, um, I, I, I saw tax returns, which I just assumed, well, Hey, if it's the tax returns, well then of course that's legit, right? That's uncle Sam. That's, but what I didn't do was go through the bank statements and look at what happened and what the reality was. And this may have played into lose $300,000, uh, withdrawal was in the fitness industry, you have a, what's called electronic funds transfer, right? They call it EFT. I don't know how the fitness industry did this. They're the only industry that like they were the ones that pioneered this idea of automatically taking money out of your account. Sure. It blows my mind that they did it, but they did. So there was $30,000 a month, according to my calculations and what the seller represented to me that came in every month. It turned out that three days after it came in, since that health club was in such shambles and they were there were students who were transient who had old credit cards who had quit that they just never stopped. 13,000 of that 30,000 would leave, would go back because it was, and I didn't, I just never caught it. So all go of back, meaning it, it was not fraudulent, but it was being pulled out of accounts that were either overdrawn or closed or whatever. Right. The way that system works behind the scenes is you have a software program that just goes out and bills it. And, and then you get this, this, this sort of debit that hits your account. Mm -hmm. and, and then what ends up happening is the reality, it settles. And five days later, whatever was, you know, if it was a credit card that didn't go through or a bank account that didn't, that gets sucked out of your account. Got it. I didn't know that. 
So almost, you know, more than a third of this money was actually not real. Did you go back to the sellers and, and, and have some sort of legal proceedings to try to recover that or no, no, no. I, um, I've always been a, I have to own my, my, I'm not, you know, I, I own my stuff. And, and, and that was, that one was on me. You know, I, I, I could have and should have figured that out. Number one, there was really, I wasn't gonna, I didn't have enough time or energy to do anything other than figure out how to solve the problem. So I want to kind of move ahead now. I, I think I, I, you know, thank you for really digging into the details of the acquisition, because I think when it comes to the sale of this business, um, some of those details are pertinent. What was the, before we get to the, the, the sale, what was the trigger that made you want to sell? Um, where, you know, what was going on in your life that, that made you want to sell? Yeah, um, I think that's a, that's a great question. And so one, as I mentioned a little earlier that my, I, I, originally I was medical school bound and then I started thinking about this, this medical fitness concept. Um, when I bought the club, I, I thought part of the reason I bought the club was I thought I'd be one less health club owner I'd need to convince for my bigger concept of this medical mm-hmm. fitness concept, right? So I had a bunch of doctors that were all lined up who loved it. I couldn't get the health clubs. So about a year after owning the club and getting it stabilized, um, I went back to my doctors and said, okay, I'm ready. Send me your patients. And then my doctors looked at me and said, now it kind of feels like you're just trying to sell us gym memberships. It was really interesting. So all of a sudden I woke up realizing, wow, you know, now I've just blended the, the, whole, the whole premise of my having this sort of separate arm's length entity. Well, now I just rolled it in. So I, I what I did was I ended up uh, creating a separate business that was a physical therapy clinic. And I housed that business inside the health club. And then I went back to my doctors and said, okay, now I'm a physical therapy clinic inside and they were okay. But the, the motivation for me to go into that business was because I really wanted to help people make lifestyle changes. It's the reason I chose that as opposed to going to medical school. Well, that, and I think medical school does require the attention span greater than a seven-year-old. And I don't think I, I, I just couldn't check that box. Speaking of attention span, but let's go focus again on yeah. why you why decided to sell. What was what that? Okay. So all along, I knew that what I really wanted to do was have a broader impact. Mm. Um, okay. So every year, what I would do as part of my process is I would sit, I'd have this sort of alignment process where we'd sit and say, okay, is this, are, are, are we adding value to this? club in this community? Is this club adding value to us? This would be my general manager, um, who she was amazing. And I would sit and do this. And there were some trends that I started to see. There were number one, I was seeing a consolidation in an industry. Um, and number two, I knew that, uh, I knew it was going to be time soon for me to have a family. And, uh, in my interviewing of physicians and doctors earlier on, I had always asked people the question of knowing what you know now, what would you do different? And hands down, everyone always told me when I, I would spend more time with my kids. So I knew that there was going to come a point in my life where I'm going to want to be present. And I was coming up on that. Um, I also had gotten involved in real estate. Um, I didn't like the stock market very much, mostly because by the time I started being profitable in the health club business was two, 2000, 2001. And right where it all went. The crash. Yeah. And so I, I, I did more real estate. I saw the writing on the wall. This was now 2005, 2006. I saw what was happening in real estate. I started to be just a net seller of everything. So I just saw um, various different trends. And so mm-hmm. some external and, and some internal. 
Um, and I realized more importantly that if I didn't either, I either had to make a commitment right there. I had to grow into multiple facilities so that I could cultivate um, long-term uh, employment, right? So, you know, my general manager was amazing, but I knew she was amazing and I knew that it wasn't going to be long before she either left or decided to have a family or, and then, so I, I think it was a diversification also. Um, I had a lot at the time I had some, my, my net worth was in it. Um, and so those were all the things that made me say, hey, probably time to start shopping this. At that point, how much debt did you still have on the company? Um, so the $350,000 loan, uh, I had paid off. Um, I had bought out all, um, all of my partners for the most part. Um, and I had to do a remodel, complete a remodel of the club. So I took out another loan of about $500,000, I think at the time, which paid off the first one and allowed me to put some money back in the club. So I think, but what I had done, um, as, as I saw this, I realized that I might want to sell it. I, I, I took the operations of the business. I started a new company and I moved the operations into a debt-free company and all the debt I kept on the building. Um, and so now I had two businesses, the, the operation that was renting from me. Um, and then, you know, the building that was basically a landlord for the next 20 some odd years. So let me see if I have this straight. So the building, you didn't actually own the underlying earth underneath. You had this, this ground lease, but it had, it, there was, it was, it was worth something. Cause there, again, that was, you were paying a fairly low rent and it was the market rent was quite high. So you applied the debt, the $500,000 to, you know, to pay off your uh, investors as well as to refurbish it was against that cash flow essentially uh, that was, uh, that was inherent within the, the, the lease and the, the building on top of the lease. Yep. And then they, they, the health club was a separate entity that you carved yeah. out as an operating All business. The lenders, the lenders were really more interested in the real estate. Mm. So all of, the, all of the collateral when I got these loans was really the, the, the building and that cash flow. What changed? Because when you first went out and tried to get money for the $700,000 acquisition, 12 of the 12 banks you went to weren't, prepared yeah. to borrow against that, or excuse me, lend against that, that cash flow. They couldn't understand it. It was kind of odd, peculiar, no dirt underneath the, the, the building. What changed when you actually went to, to separate it out that you were able to borrow $500,000? I'd say a couple things. Um, first and foremost, my track record changed, right? Now I'm coming back with a guy who can say, hey, I came to you three years ago. This is what I said I was going to do. I've done it. Um, and that goes a long way in that industry. Number one, number two, the collateral was legitimized by the first loan. Once that happened, what does meaning, that mean? The collateral was legitimized. I'm not yeah, sure. Sorry. Um, I think what I mean is that once Goleta national bank, Lou stone actually loaned on that. Now I ha when I walked into another bank, I, I, I knew the language. So, but what I could say is, Hey, look, it's a long-term ground lease. Let's just get that out of the, out of the way. If we can't get our heads around that, and here's how, the other, here's how the other bank had gotten their head around that, right? So it's a combination of um, the model was proven, the club was very successful, and let's not forget, you know, I can't take any credit for this at all, but we were in, I had the tailwind of one of the greatest economic expansions in real estate, you know, right. in, of all time, right? From, you know, I bought the club in 1996, 
And, you know, this, now we're at 2001, 2002, the, the, the land value. And I mean, you know, that, that, that Delta, right. That they call this the sandwich lease, the amount of money that that building was worth over the ground payment was only getting higher. Hmm. Um, the other thing I was able to do was I was able to find an appraiser who was willing to appraise it like an appraiser that everyone in my, uh, community under knew the same appraiser you would, you would use appraise to appraise the health club or appraise the land the building. or the, uh, the building. Got it. And, and they recognized it. Yeah. So at this time, what are the operating metrics, uh, kind of top and bottom line of the health club? When, when you'd stripped out the real estate component and you're just looking at the, the health club itself, what, what are, what's your revenue? What, what's so, your profitability like? Yeah. When I bought the club, it had 900 members and I think we were, it was doing about 600 grand a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I built that up to 3000 members. Uh, we were doing about 2 million a year in revenue and uh, if I'm not mistaken, the EBITDA was about four to $500,000, depending on how you sliced that, um, mm-hmm. right? You can change that significantly by raising the rent mm-hmm. or you can lower that by lowering the rent, right? So- And were you charging yourself what you thought was a kind of market yeah, rate? I was, right? I was trying to, to, to charge myself what I thought was a, a fair rent. And, and that, okay. that's, that's 400, 450,000 um, assumed a, if I remember correctly at the time, around a $25,000 a month rent. Okay. And there were some standard metrics in that industry. Um, you know, I, I, had, uh, I had a lot of connections in that industry. I had started to help other health club owners and consult for other health club owners, as well as um, the technology in that industry was, was really rough. So I became a part of the trade organization to try and help the technology, like the membership uh, technology. Mm-hmm. So I knew a lot of the players. So I understood the market. I understood what deals were going for. I understood it was basically three to five times EBITDA well, one to five times EBITDA um, was what uh, transactions were going for. EBITDA uh, being er- earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, uh, for those following along on the, uh, the acronyms. Okay, so you thought they were trading somewhere between one and five, depending on the quality of the, the health club? Yes, yeah. Got it. And then what did you find when you went and marketed the business? What, 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 what was yeah, the reaction? Yeah, so it was interesting. So, you know, again, I started this process pretty early on. It was probably, you know, two years, you know, a year or two before I sold, um, I started to just float it in the circles that I, you know, I went to my, uh, I went to the competitor who originally wanted to buy it. I think remember what I mentioned when I mm-hmm. person who was going to buy it originally, I went to them, they were a local, um, they had three little gyms and I thought it made some sense for them. Um, they were at the time mired in a, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but they were actually in the process of selling. So they said, no, I went to uh, another multi-purpose club about 15 miles down the road, which I thought was the logical connection. Um, but I, I, I spent literally two minutes in an office with their owner. I was very good friends with the general manager, but the owner I realized um, was not the type of person I wanted to do business with. Mm. You know, so I, I, I was getting, I, I thought I, I was getting traction at the number and I was just sort of floating you know, I, what I decided to do was focus on the terms as opposed to the price, meaning, hey, let's just, you know, I want to, let's talk about what you think, where in that one to five range do we think my health club would sit? And if we feel like we can all agree that that's four or five or three, then, then it's just an exercise. Okay, what's the real evidence? We can go back and forth on that. Or what's the real earnings? You know, what's, what's the amount we're going to multiply 
by three mm-hmm. to five. Um, that was where I decided. So I got a lot of traction on that. Um, and then I had, you know, un- unfortunately I had a, um, a couple people who, you know, really wasted some of my time. Um, I had a, I had a big health club chain come through and, you know, just take me all the way down the one yard line. They were, you know, he called himself the sleeping giant. We're going to, you know, come on board. And, and then they gave me this sort of low ball offer at the end. And, and I said, you know, I don't think it's worth it for me to do that. So then they literally threatened me with uh, well, we're coming into your market and we're going to close you down. Hmm. Um, luckily I was in a market where I knew that you can't just come in, you know, real estate was not easy to come by. That was tough. That was really stressful actually. And so then I, I ended up putting it on um, a online at the time. There was an online, I can't remember the name of the company. I just listed it online and I ran it. I found a father-son operation out of Malibu. Um, they had one club. They were like, to me, the perfect buyer. I wanted somebody that was really willing to come in and, and put their heart and soul into it, not just make this some commodity and you know, part of their growth strategy. Um, and we really connected and we agreed on that range very quickly. Um, so what was, what was the agreed to price? We agreed to $2.1 million for the business and a lease back the property. I think it was 25 grand a month with various different terms on that lease. And the 2.1 million, to be honest, we never really negotiated much. I, I, we came up with, um, I think I, if I remember correctly, it was, um, 450 or $400,000 EBITDA uh, earnings. We multiplied, I think by four and a half, um, you know, we agreed and they never really negotiated because I really, I, I carried back paper. So I carried back about $700,000 over a 10 What does that mean? So for, for folks who don't know what it means to carry back paper, what, what does that mean uh, exactly? Yeah. So what I did was um, since again, I had pushed this out and didn't have any debt. Um, I, offer to finance. I, I basically was seller financing a portion of it. So they went to the SBA and they got a loan for, I think a million dollars, million something. They put up 400,000 of their own. So there was a million four that came up front. And then the last $700,000, I basically financed them. So I, what they call carried back the paper on that note. And that was a loan over a 10 year period. Got it. So they're basically paying that $700,000 off to you over 10 years. And that's unique and separate from the, the rent they're paying you 25 grand a month for rent. On the 700 grand, what was the coupon? What was the interest rate you were getting? Yeah, I think we had we had, had it tied to, um, it was a variable interest rate loan and it was similar to the SBA loan. I think we had matched the terms, but I think we had it tied to prime rate plus you know two or three. Um, Got it. And what would have happened if you had, um, if, if they had defaulted on that 700 grand? I would have got the business back. And would you have been ahead or behind the, the bank or the SBA loan? I would have been behind the SBA. Um, but I was very confident uh, that the SBA would not want to take that over. That's just not what the SBA does. And I was confident that the SBA would work with me. Um, and, you what know, gave I, you that worked, confidence, Ian? Like, how did you, like, what, what gave you that confidence? Yeah, well, number one, I think, um, as I mentioned, Cal Coastal, I went, um, I started to, once I, once I became um, more successful, I wanted to give back to Cal Coastal. So I got involved, I sat on their loan committee, and I started to learn about what banks 
really do when they have to step in and take something back. And banks do not want to step in. There's no bank, especially the SBA, is not going to want to come in and operate a health club. And me being A, I, I had them sandwiched, if you think about it, right? I had this note behind them and I was the landlord. So hmm. what's going to happen is I'm going to get on the phone with the SBA and say, hey, we can make a deal or starting um, tomorrow, you guys have to start paying me rent because all your equipment is in my building, right? Everything you have that's collateralized your loan, which is the business, which is, which is what, the, you know, the membership, the equipment, the, all the things that they had that they used to collateralize it is sitting in my building. So I felt like if they defaulted, I was in a pretty good position where I would probably get a second bite at the apple, uh, so to speak. Um, right. I'd, I'd, I'd come in and I'd operate the business if I had to. With your million four in, the, in your jeans kind of thing. <laughs> Got it. And, and how did it actually work? Um, did, did they honor the 700,000? Did you yeah. get your money? I did. Um, I got all of my money out of the deal. Um, I, I, you know, there was, there was a, there was a period there where I was a little concerned, right? We went into a, a very difficult economy. I had sold sure. the club right before this downturn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they ran a very different health club than I did. Um, which, were some of the things I, I think I learned from it. You know, some of the things I, I would do differently if I went back in time, um, where I, I, I think I would have paid a little more attention to the detail of the transition process. I didn't do that very well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but so I was concerned. I'm not going to lie. There were periods where I thought I might come in and operate it. But, but in truth, um, other than my concern was honestly more for here are some guys that have paid me a lot of money and continue to pay me a lot of money. And I would have been devastated if they lost, right? I genuinely, every deal I've ever, I've, I ever do, if I bring somebody in it, I genuinely want them to win. And I, I, and I really would have felt bad, but I wasn't concerned about me. What was the outward display or symbol that gave you concern that maybe maybe things were going to go south. I mean, did they miss a payment or did they say they might miss a payment? No, I think that it was, so I was really present there. So again, remember I started this physical therapy clinic in it. So in the building, what I kept out of the deal was I also kept some space for my physical therapy clinic that was still there because part of the reason I wanted to sell was to start to expand this broader concept. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was there, I was present. Um, And, and as I mentioned this in this transition, um, I didn't think about, uh, I, I was there and I offered up my services. There was a period where I think I had to do, um, 30 to, I had to do 30 days, um, in the deal. I had to stay on for 30 days and help them. My general manager had to stay on for a minimum of a certain amount of time. I think it was 90 days. Um, but I just started to watch a lot of my key employees leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and, and I just saw a very different management style. I saw decisions, um, and then I saw a broader economy, right, getting harder. And I just, uh, and I also, because I was the landlord, I knew our, our rent increases were tied to their revenue. Um, mm-hmm. So I knew what was happening to some degree on their revenue side, right? So I just, and I just knew how much debt they had, you know, and, and it wasn't that long ago where I was them, you know, I just mm-hmm. I still had that sense. So I, I was concerned, but it, um, to their credit, they, they never missed a payment. They, 
you know, we had our differences on certain aspects of it. There were, you know, challenges we had as landlord and tenant, but um, honestly, we both really always played a very respectful long game. Uh, which, and, and that was, a, and it was a 10 year period during which you were being paid off. Is that right? Yeah. And so has that now come, come to an end or where are you at that now? Portion it, that portion of it has come to an end. And but the land lease remains. The land lease remains. Yeah. And when, when will that uh, come? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, when will the land lease uh, yeah, come up? We're coming up. We have another three, about three years left on the ground lease. And at that point, and now we're in this three-way negotiation with the landowner, myself, and the tenant. And in truth, this can get really ugly, uh, right? Because as the landowner, I mean, as the building owner, I know I have to hand back. One of the problems with these land lease deals mm -hmm. is that the last five years is really tough because the owner of the, the land, me in this case, the, the sort of the landlord, the building owner, doesn't really, I don't want to be putting a lot of money into a building that I'm going to have to hand back. Sure. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to fulfill my obligations, but not go much more. The landowner wants, you know, is going to get this building back and they want any, you know, any repairs being done to it. They'd like to, to be longer term repairs. And the tenant is really in a tough spot because they don't know what their fate is. Right. And there were a health club. It's not like you just move down the road. Moving a health club is a very, very, very big challenge. Sure. So luckily over the years, there have been issues. We had a target that came in, um, was trying to get into our community and, and wanted to buy that building. And so they came in and were trying to get me to shake the land. You know, the, they were trying to get me to, to boot the tenant and we've all stayed together in the end. Um, and so that's making this process much easier. We have a, we all have a deep respectful relationship. Um, and I, I think we're not through it yet. Um, but I think that we're going to be able to work through some of the, you know, the, the tenant improvements and the capital improvements that are needed and try, I'm really trying to help them get a lease signed so that when my lease is done, they still have a place to operate. Right. So, so, I mean, the ideal outcome is that the original owner of the dirt takes over the ownership of not only the dirt, but also the building that sits on it and leases that back to the current owners of Galita and you kind of gracefully step yeah. away having yeah, greased and, your pockets for the last 15 years, which yeah. is great. Yeah. <laughs> I say that with tremendous respect. I had an annuity and my annuity is coming to an end. And in truth, I, you know, I, yeah, I feel like I'm just sort of a nuisance at this point. I'm trying to just step out of the way and let those, let them talk to each other directly. Have you, have you sat down to calculate what that lease uh, was worth to you? The delta between kind of what you were paying uh, for the ground lease and then what the, the kind of market value of the rent was? Have you ever sat down to calculate well, that over the years? From a straight revenue perspective over the period of time, the land lease, I mean, you know, it's, it's well over $5 million dollars just in straight revenue. And then now there are costs to that revenue that I'd have to pull out of that, right? So there's, I had debt that I had to service. I had my land lease, right? Um, so, you know, even let's just say half of that, um, right? So over a period of time, you know, perhaps it's 2 million bucks and that's just from the time I sold it. I owned it for nine years. Hmm. Um, Right now, at the beginning, there was it was it wasn't it wasn't worth anything to me because I wasn't making any money uh, in the business. Sure, 
but things changed quite uh, significantly. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I, I'm grateful for you sharing the story. We have now done more than 200 episodes of the show. And although I know real estate is, is a big part of a lot of business sales, we don't actually talk about it that much. So in this case, I was really keen to, to, uh, to have you share the story. Um, uh, if people want to reach out in or, uh, uh, kind of want to, kind of get to know you or maybe maybe connect with you what's the best way to do that are there yeah um, sure people can reach out directly to me you can uh, my email is ian at silverlineventures.com which i can uh, give you you're welcome to post if you want um sure, I'm, in the show notes for sure. I'm on uh, linkedin um i have a, a website that um, you could go to called intentfullife.com which is sort of a little bit about just the intentionality which does bring me to something before we go that uh, I do want to thank you. I, I've been a listener of your podcast now for, I don't know how I stumbled on it. I don't know, a year and a half, two years. And I am deeply appreciated. I, I, I find it, I, I find it um, a great, uh, the, I think the awareness that you're bringing to this uh, issue is really, really important. And it, it taps into the, one of the key principles of life for me, and that's intentionality. The idea of thinking out, Right. I think even if you look at my story, you know, my sale was something that I had contemplated way before. I wish that I had known you then. I probably would have been able to get that, uh, you know, get more for it. And I was sort of out there on my own. But I think the service that you're doing and this idea of bringing intentionality to it is incredible. Um, I think and I would love, you know, for there to be a, a podcast on the acquisition side. Oh um, yeah, that'd be great. I, you know, I think it would be really cool because in truth, I think the buy is sometimes a lot hairier than the sale, at least in my case mm -hmm. it was. Mm -hmm. um, well, so you I, should do it. Uh, I'm game. I'm happy to host it for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. Ian. It's great. And it's uh, you know testament to people like you that, that make it all possible. So thank you for sharing your story. It was great to be with you today. Thank you. It was great to be with you too. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at Facebook.com slash Built to Sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. -L 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 Thanks for listening.